0: Uh, Let's talk about God's friends. Obadiah chapter 1. We're going to read verses 15 through 21 this morning. Uh, By the way, I'm sorry. If you need a Bible, just slip up your hand and uh, we can get you a Bible. Somebody in the back will grab you one. Um, Obadiah chapter 1. Starting in verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame. And the house of Esau, stubble. They shall burn them and consume them and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau for the, for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau and those of Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the, of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Can- Canaanites as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Zarephath shall possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Let's pray, Father. We we are diving into some words here that um, are as true today and as relevant today and powerful today. Uh, words that were written through Your Holy Spirit through the servant, your servant uh, Obadiah. Words directed at the Edomites and as powerful and as cutting today as as they ever were. The power to slice us up. And also these words contain the power to heal us and to soothe us and to comfort us. God, we are a people that uh, so, so often struggle and fail. We are, we are prideful, we are weak, we're feeble. Yet what we realize this morning and the fact uh, that we are celebrating this morning is that we are made your friends, not by the work that we do, but the work that Christ has done for us on our behalf, for by grace we are saved. So God, this morning as we do dive into Obadiah, I pray that we will see through that we'll see through the ancient culture, uh, the words, the, um, the Edomites, the promise to the Israelites, and that what we will see is the cross, And the eternal promise to every single one of us who are called your friend. We'll see our savior, our friend who marched up Mount Zion and who rules, who reigns in our hearts and in our lives. And it's for his kingdom and for his glory. Speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Who needs a friend today? Anybody? Do you need a friend? Uh, Cicero, the, the Roman philosopher, he said this about friendship. He said, friendship is the only thing in the world concerning the usefulness of which all mankind are agreed. Essentially what he's saying is, is nobody disagrees on the usefulness of f- friendship you might disagree on a lot of things. We might disagree on a lot of things. If we, all, if we laid it all out there, everything that we believe in, think about, operate within, we probably would find a lot of areas of disagreement. We might disagree on how the government should work or or government systems like capitalism or versus socialism. We might disagree on Uh, Things like, things that I disagree with my less cultured friends, uh, chopsticks. I love chopsticks and some of my less cultured friends, emphasis on less cultured, think that they're useless. We can disagree on that. We might disagree on um, voting, Uh, our place in the church, our place in the government, various systems, welfare, so- social security. We might disagree on music. We might disagree on the need for air conditioning in the summertime. But we wouldn't disagree on uh, the usefulness of air, right? We wouldn't disagree on the usefulness of food. And what Cicero is saying, and I think I agree with him we wouldn't disagree on the usefulness of friendship. We wouldn't, I mean, it's like food, it's like oxygen, it's, we need, we need it for survival. Uh, just watch Tom Hanks in the movie *Castaway*, and you see what happens with no friends for four years, right? This plane goes down on this deserted island all by himself, and for four years lives there with nobody, finds a soccer ball to talk to, right? Wilson. We see what happens. I mean, what's, what's, what is the great terror of Tom Hanks in Castaway? It's, it's not where he was living. He was living in paradise, right? An exotic beachfront resort. Waves rolling in in the evening. The terror of the movie is that he had no friends. He had nobody to talk to for four years, and it drove him a little crazy. And then his soccer ball turns against him, right? Leaves him. Wilson! I can't do it. Whoever is happy in this life, whoever is happy has friends. Friends. And the same goes, uh, this is what I want you to understand, the same goes for the next life. The same goes for the next world. Whoever is happy in the world that is to come has to have a friend there. A friend that will take them there. A friend that goes beyond what we can see, touch, and feel right now. A friend that goes beyond this world. What we find though, and this kind of in some ways summarizes last week in verse 7 of Obadiah chapter 1. If you remember what happened. All your allies have driven you to the border. The, the friends of Edom, this nation of enemies of God that he's coming down upon. He's, he's, his wrath is just hitting them on their head. Their friends have turned against them. The people that they're relying on, their allies, the people that they look to have turned against them. And this is what we find with, with human friendships, often is they are fickle. Human, I mean, let's just be honest. Let's just say it like it is. Human friendships are rather fickle. If you put your complete trust into your friends, like complete trust, often what you find is that you've trusted a robber and they run away with it. If, if you lean into with all of your weight, into your, your friends, everything that you are, everything that you have, you completely re- lean into them. What you find is a wall that is quickly falling down. If you completely rely on them, you, you rest on your friends. 100% you find that you're laying on a bed of thorns. A plane with no pilot. <laughs> Relying on something that is quickly sailing to the ground. And, and then kind of going back to the recognition of this. We need friends. Like we need people to do life with. I don't say all this kind of stuff to, uh, to make us cynical about this. I'm not like a, 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 a friend's... Cynic. I'm not going to ever state that we don't need flesh and blood, real, warm body relationships to get through life. The reality, though, is they are fickle. We betray each other. We hide from each other. We're not really real with each other. We show, we're like an iceberg. We show the top 10% of who we are. The problem lies in Genesis chapter 2. I want you to turn back there with me. Um, If you're new to the Bible, to Christianity, it's at the very front of the Bible. The first couple pages. Genesis chapter 2. If you'll turn there. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, "You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat it, eat of it, you shall surely die." Now, what's going to happen if he eats of the tree? You weren't listening? <laughs> Oh, some of you were. He shall surely die. Okay. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So here's God. Creation. Boom, boom, boom. Good, 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 good. Whoa, this is not good. Man should not live alone. I will give him someone else to do life with. And then what we see is God creates Eve, and it's, it's this, the first marriage, man and woman, and the crazy thing is that man and woman can create more people. It's, it's fascinating. And so now a people come out of this. People of, of which everyone, you might say, it's not good that they're alone. Now, whether that means marriage we're going to talk about marriage in a couple weeks in our Ephesians series or whether that means just intimate companionship with friends we need people to do life with we were created to live in complete absolute 100% communion with first the father and secondly with each other that's the way we were created to live that's like, if, if you can say, what is the most natural way to live? That's the most natural way to live. In complete communion with God and complete 100% communion with one another. Now, here's the problem. Skip down to chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes... And that the tree was was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate and gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They began to feel naked. All right? Now they've always been naked. I heard one person say, they were naked and now they're naked. All right? Something drastically has changed. And they realize that they're naked. And they begin to cover up, they begin to hide from each other. And then what happens? Verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God, who, by the way, they've enjoyed 100% sweet communion with. They heard the, Lord, the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hid. Like all of a sudden everything changed and we broke. Like this is the way we were supposed to live. We broke away from that and now we are living in a different kind of perverted Life where we no longer have sweet 100% communion with each other, and we no longer have sweet 100% communion with our Father God. Then we read on, chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew his wife Eve in the biblical sense, and she conceived and bore Cain. Verse 8, skip down. Cain spoke to Abel his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. You see where this is going? Complete communion, oneness, relationships broken from that false sin, killing each other. We can't rely on each other. We can't trust each other. A disconnect with God. And then we, then we can, from there, read the rest of the Bible. And we see the story of humanity as it's played out in the pages of Scripture, in the pages of history, and in the pages of your life. We see this all around us. Brokenness, broken relationships with each other, which is simply indicative of the deeper relationship that has been broken, and that is the relationship with God. And we have to know that. We have to know that repairing our relationships with each other, being a good friend begins when we understand our relationship with God. But how can we repair that? Because you see, man, humanity does not want to be a friend with God. There's nobody out there who who wants to be a friend with God and God's just, no, you're not my friend. Like we're we're hiding. We're we're running from this guy God. We don't want to be his friend. We're trying to get away. And then um, occasionally throughout the scriptures, we see God's justice just begin to pour out on the heads of individuals. So, um, going back, Adam and Eve ate. What was supposed to happen to them? They were supposed to die, all right? God relented of, of just smacking them, smashing them in that moment gave them grace. It's the first, first time we see grace as they live. They, they keep living. Um, things are broken. And then occasionally, we see the justice and the anger and the wrath of God just poured out on a human or a people Obadiah chapter 1 verse 15. These are the people of Esau, remember? Jacob have I loved. Esau have I hated. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. Verse 15. As you have done it, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. This cosmic day of judgment, the day of the Lord throughout the scripture simply refers to this moment where God's justice is poured out. Like, people get what we deserve. We get what our mother and father, Adam and Eve, deserved. It's the day of the Lord. Just boom. Justice. Throughout the prophetic literature, we see sort of a uh, literal fulfillment of this in this time period, and then there's always this sort of picture of this this coming big day of the Lord, where God's judgment will pour out on humanity, where where the flesh, everything that is done in the flesh, will be cut and will be judged and will be smashed. It's imminent, it's upon us, and it's certain. For Edom here in in Obadiah, it is like this literal judgment that's about to just be poured out on this people, on literal Edom. They are about to be destroyed. God is dead set against Esau. If you look at verse 18, he simply says, For the Lord has spoken. Like it's done. Judgment is coming. If we remember last week, they are about to lose their space. Their location is gone. They're going to be robbed of where they live. <coughs> Excuse me. They're going to they're, they're lose their possessions, their treasures, the, the things that they took so much pride in, the things that they leaned on, in, into in life. Their friends that they relied on are turning against them. They're losing it. Their, their brains, their wisdom, like just everything is being smashed and crushed. It's complete oblivion. And it is certain, like the Lord has spoken. It's imminent, it's coming, it's certain. God is dead set against his enemies. Spiritually speaking, God is dead set against Esau as well. Esau throughout the scriptures, it, it takes us back to this, this reminder of the flesh. Of selling what is good, selling what is mine for, for what my flesh wants. Selling my inheritance in the kingdom of God for a bowl of soup. Pursuing the flesh. And spiritually speaking, the judgment against the flesh is imminent, it's coming, and God is dead set against Esau against the flesh against the things that are done with, pride, with the pride of life seeking after seeking after the flesh in Psalm chapter 34 verse 21 it says this affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned I mean this is real stuff alright it's the Lord has spoken there's a period there it's done. It's happened. I was talking to one friend of mine who happens to be Muslim. And we were talking about this idea of God's judgment. What, what God, how God is going to judge us. And my friend said, well, the way I see it is it's kind of like a scale. And so at the end of my life, when it's all said and done, all of the good that I have done will be placed on one side of the scale. And then all of the bad that I've done will be placed on the other side of the scale. And then God will weigh it out. And we'll see. And if it leans toward the bad, then I am God's enemy. If the scale leans toward the good, then that means I'm God's friend. Now. My problem with that, my personal problem with that, all right, like just me being real and honest, like if you were to take my bad and place it, or let's start with the good. <laughs> if you were to take my good and place it over here, and then you were to take my bad and place it on the other side, the problem is not only would my bad slam the scale to the ground, just like throwing my good into oblivion, but my bad would completely crush the scale, all right? Like I'm like Paul to where when, when I really look at my life, I mean even when I consider the good things I do and then the motives behind why I do them, you see? When I look at my life and I take a real and honest evaluation of my life, what I find is that there are none righteous, no, not one. There's nothing there. I'm like Adam. I I, I chose to to, to try to operate in my own way to turn away from the, 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 the ways of God to essentially then be the, the, on the throne of my own life. I've tasted the fruit. I've enjoyed the flesh. And then therefore, I've hid. I've hid from others, right? I mean, because if, if you really know, then you might reject me, right? It's called the fear of man. We begin to hide from each other. And then I've hid from God. I've ran. Man, it, Because if God really knows and he really sees this scale, like I am done, the day of the Lord is upon me. It's imminent, it's real. But I'm also like Solomon, who in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, he said, I found a friend that sticks closer than a brother. This is why we as the people of God as the children of God get excited when we read verses like Obadiah chapter 1 verse 17. This is why we as the people of God find this line so encouraging because remember if we really look at the scale we are damned. Like it's done. It's over. Verse 17. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape. And at this point, like everything in me, when I, when I think about this and I'm reading this, like everything in me wants to say yes. In Mount Zion, there will be those who escape. This is, this is the, the friend who went back into the battle to save his other friends and to pull him out. I was recently reading about Harriet Tubman. You know, when she went back down to the south, you know, the first people uh, that, that she rescued from slavery? They were her friends. She went back for her friends. All right? This is the friend that sticks closer than a brother and he's coming back and he's rescuing those on Mount Zion and they and they escape and some of you this morning you need to be reminded that Jesus is your friend some of you like i mean theologically you get it you can check off the boxes of belief But but really, the reality is you go through life and you forget this. And this morning, you need to be reminded that Jesus is your friend. He's your friend. A couple things I want to remind you of. Three marks. If you have a pen, you can write this down. Three marks of Jesus' friendship that I want to remind you of this morning. Number one, the first mark is that Jesus, as a friend, he loved you before creation. Ephesians 1.4 says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He loved you before creation, like before the flowers for the first time in history opened up to the sun. before dinosaurs ever walked on this planet, before birds ever filled the skies, before waves ever crashed upon the shore. God loved you, all right? And this isn't like you sort of plural anonymous. This is like you in particular before creation, God loved you. And also, by the way, he chose you. He chose you to be his friend and he made you as a friend. Second mark, he chose you to be his friend. I don't know if any of you are like me, but at some point in life we've, we, there's been somebody that we've been trying to be friends with and they just won't be our friend Amen? I remember when I went to college, I was like lonely. I had, I started dating my wife, but outside of my girlfriend, I and my brother actually was there too, but I just wanted some other friends, you know? And so there was this one dude that I was trying to hang out with. He was on our basketball team, and he was a local to the area, so that means he had 50 friends from high school that he's still hanging out with, Right? And so I would try to be his friend and try to go to things and hang out. And it just wasn't happening. I remember thinking, like, I felt like an idiot. It's like, I really want to be friends with this guy. And he won't be my friend. I remember telling that to a Jess. She was like, chill out. <laughs> like, you're getting weird. But here's the reality. This is, I mean, you guys got to understand this this morning. You didn't seek him out. God isn't that friend that you are running after trying to be friends with. And then he finally turns around and relents. He's like, all right, whatever. Come on. Come on along. Hop in the car. Let's go hang out. No, like before you were born, before your mom and dad was born, oh, before creation, he chose you in particular to be his friend. Everybody say, Wow. That's huge. God chose you to be his friend and then he made you into his friend. He conformed you into the likeness of his son so that you can be his friend. Like he fixed you up so you could now even have the desire to not hide from him anymore. And so you can love him and be friends with him. Wow. And then thirdly, like I said, in in Proverbs, what Solomon realized is that he has found a friend which sticks closer than a brother. Let's think about that for a minute. The ancient warrior, Timoleon, after his brother was slain on the battlefield, Enemy all around, arrows flying, and he stands there, all right, his brother's dead. He stands there over the corpse of his dead brother with his, sh- with his shield, protecting his brother's body. And it became known and just reckoned as this huge act of love of brothers. That he would brave the attack of an enemy the arrows of an enemy, and stand there and protect his brother's corpse. So his brother's corpse wouldn't be offended by the enemy. Like, I don't know if you guys know many brothers, but brothers love each other. Like brothers, as much as we fight and knock each other out, sometimes literally, we stand next to each other in battle I was debating, in preparation for this, I was actually reading different stories of brotherly love, like brothers that that stood in the way for another brother and and took, gave his life so his brother can live and just like heart-wrenching stories of brothers and how they stuck together. And here's what I was debating. Do I even tell one of these stories? Because what I don't want you to go out, and I decided not to, by the way, because I don't want you to walk out of here with your heart wrenched by the story of two human brothers. As heart wrenching and and as beautiful as these stories are. I want you to walk out of here with your heart wrenched with the story of a friend that sticks closer to you than a brother. I want your heart to be wrenched with Christ this morning. For you to walk out of here realizing, like n- the, 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 whoever it is that sticks as close to you in your life, maybe it's your, your sister, your brother, your spouse, your, Jesus is closer. He will stick closer than that person will. And he doesn't have to, but he chose you. And he loves you. And he's not going anywhere. Here's the heart-wrenching story. What Jesus does for you as his friend. I want you to see it. Look at verse 17. I want you to see just what exactly, as as your friend, what Jesus does for you. Obadiah chapter 1, verse 17. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape. And look at the next line. And it shall be holy. It shall be holy. Jesus, as your friend, is making you holy. Now, let's be really honest. Let's admit, with immature ears, this sounds really Boring <laughs> um, sterile, if you would, like when we think of holiness, all these different images might come to your mind, holiness, you might think of a woman with a bun wearing a homemade dress, or maybe a a grandma big hat dress, white. What do you call them? Leggings, tights. I don't know what they're called. Those things that women wear. Getting on to you for not listening to church music, making you turn off your Biggie Smalls, right? But when when we really like take an honest evaluation of life, wh- wh- I mean, when we honestly just look around. When we watch the news, when we read the newspaper, we look at our neighborhoods. We take an honest evaluation of our own lives. And then we read, but those in Mount Zion are rescued, and it will be holy? It's exciting. This, I mean, this is, this is not for those who have it all together. This is for those who know the reality of life, of this world. You know the reality and the consequences and the end result of sin. And you read this. Those in Mount Zion will be rescued and it shall be holy. This is for the young girl who is prostituted by her mother for rent money. She grows up with this. This is for her. There will be those that are rescued, and it shall be holy. Like sin no more, the flesh no more. This is that. For that, for that same girl as she's grown up into a woman. Living a life of promiscuity. She doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know how to, how to interact with a, another person of the opposite sex. And sh- so she has sex with them. And she's caught up in this. This is for her. There are those in Mount Zion who will be rescued from that. And they will be holy. Spotless. sin. No more. This is for our friend whose husband was senselessly murdered a little over a year ago, just a couple blocks from here. There are those in Mount Zion who will be rescued and it shall be holy. This is for women who are wondering if their husbands will ever love them and lead them like Christ loves the church. Or men who are wondering if their wives will ever look at them in the eyes with respect. This is for them. Sin, no more. It's eradicated. There will be those in Mount Zion who are rescued. And it will be holy. This is for those struggling with Addiction over and over again. Alcohol maybe. Pornography maybe, maybe. And you keep going back. Like no matter what, you, you just find yourself going back to that salt water, drinking it again. There will be those in Mount Zion who are rescued. And it shall be holy. You see, this excites those of us who understand sin. Sin. Like we've seen it, we've experienced it, we can look around us, we can touch it, we can feel it. We know the consequences of sin, of this brokenness, this broken union that we once had with God, this broken union that we once had with each other. Now we, 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 we've traded that for pride. We've traded that for greed, which causes us to, to lust and to want and to take advantage, to covet. But in Mount Zion, there shall, shall be those who escape and it shall be holy. I want you to understand the freedom that Jesus, br- Jesus brings his friends. He makes them holy. Secondly, look at the next line. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. Now remember, this is written within the ancient world to a context to a people who have just had their stuff plundered. They've just lost it. Essentially what this is saying to us today is greed will be no more. Covening will be no more. And then this much deeper much more real and spiritual reality for those who are the friends of God. Your possessions will be your possessions. And do you realize what your possessions are as a friend of God? From the Father, you have been given communion, relationship, unity. You've been given Christ And everything within Christ's inheritance. Everything that's coming to him. You've been given the Holy Spirit. This down payment. This seal of your salvation. Of your inheritance. We're starting a series in three weeks called Rich. Out of Ephesians. That's what it's all about. Do you realize how much you have as a friend of God? Jesus makes his friends holy. His friends keep their own possessions. And then as we read the rest of Obadiah, the last couple verses here, what we discover is the, the enemy is yes, Obliterated. The flesh is completely cut off. It's done away with. And everything shall be the Lord's. Everything shall be the Lord's. You're living in a kingdom where you look around and you, you, you see how pride works itself out within your kingdom. You see how people betray each other because of pride. How people turn their backs on each other because of pride. You see how greed plays itself out in your kingdom. How people lust, covet what's not theirs, take what's not theirs. And in this kingdom, what you find is that there is this evil emperor sitting on the throne. Now let's just say you meet a friend who comes into this, like he comes into this dark world where everybody's raping and killing each other, and you find in this guy a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Like he's not going anywhere. What we're hearing here in verse twenty-one. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. What we're hearing there is that our friend is going up the mountain and he is about to take his rightful place on that throne and he's about to rule over everything. The kingdom is now his. Your friend. And then we see in Revelation 21, I saw him, the lamb which was slain, this lamb which was led to the slaughter, and for our sins he was crushed. I see this lamb sitting on the throne, and from his mouth I hear the words, Behold, I make everything new. Is Jesus your friend this morning? Is he your friend? Is he sitting on the throne of your hearts this morning? Psalm 34, going back to that, it, it, verse 21 says, Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. But verse 22, the very next verse, it says, The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those, everybody say, none of those, none, none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. So like, day of the Lord is coming, God's judgment is coming, it's imminent, it's happened, it's here. The enemies will be crushed, and oh, by the way, none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. None of those who look to him, who say, my refuge is no longer in my flesh. My refuge is no longer in the world, in the things of the world. My refuge is completely in my friend. And none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. You see, there is not a person out there who wants to be God's friend and God just simply turns his back on. Doesn't exist. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Take refuge in your friend this morning. As as we walk out of here today, one one of the things I said earlier is I didn't want to tell any heart-wrenching stories because I want your heart to be wrenched by our Savior slash friend who loved you to such a degree that he came back into this battle for you, gave his life for you, to set you free. And through his resurrection, you have life and communion with, with the Father. In the words of Martin Luther King, I've been to the mountaintop. I've looked over the edge and I've seen the other side. Do you guys realize what we have coming for us as friends of God is a very, very good thing. Let your heart be just enraptured, caught up, caught Healed, wrenched this morning by Jesus Christ, our Savior and friend, in Mount Zion. There will be those who escape, and they are His friends. Let's pray. God is there, uh, our. people in this room right now who have real needs, physical needs, emotional needs, people who have been let down by human flesh and blood friendships, who have been betrayed, people who are lonely. God, is there are people in this room who are finding their life source in flesh and blood relationships? They're finding their happiness in the things underneath the sun, in the things that this world has to offer, in the pride of life, in simply enjoying the flesh. God, break through the hearts. I pray that we will hear your voice. And as we are reminded this morning, that you have loved us before creation, that you have chosen us and called us and made us into your friends, that in you we will indeed truly find a friend that sticks closer than a brother. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for being our friend. It's in Jesus' name, amen.